It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Silence. And that was only 10 seconds. Actually, it's probably less than 10 seconds because I was counting in my head and I was so uncomfortable with the silence that I probably rushed it. I think it was only seven, maybe eight seconds at best. We're uncomfortable with silence. Well, maybe not all of the time. Uh, there are times where we expect silence, right? If you're in the library, you expect silence. Uh, in a classroom, you expect silence. At least you hope for it. I've seen teachers many times do this, right? Parents once in a while even say that to their kids in church. I see it from up here, right? We see silence. Uh, we may be expected in a movie theater as you hear shh, right? Or, I mean, can you imagine? Or maybe on the golf course. I mean, um, the, how would you like that job, right? Just the guy to, uh, what do you call him? The professional, professional sure. Uh, I, I don't know, but he stands there before the guy tees off and just, everybody, shh. If we were playing Family Feud today and they said, okay, top four answers on the board, what days of worship would you expect to be a little bit subdued? What days of worship would you expect to be a little bit more silent? What would you say? Good Friday, right? I think Good Friday would probably be near the top of the list, if not the number one ding, ding, ding answer. And that's a, a, week, a day that we get to celebrate, observe. And even to say celebrate Good Friday sounds strange, but observe Good Friday. As we contemplate the price, the, the complete price that Jesus paid for our sins, it's a silent day. In fact, some churches have a tradition where they walk out in silence. I say another day this week maybe is a little bit more silent or subdued, Monday, Thursday. As we sit in that upper room and feast on, on, on the Lord's Supper that Jesus institutes. But you sit there and you, it's a solemn setting as, as Jesus gives us his last will and testament. I think maybe we would back up to Christmas Eve has a little bit more of a silent feel as we as we peek into the manger we even sing a song right silent night but if you said today yep palm sunday i think zechariah would give you a big old right i mean you go back to that lesson uh, that we read earlier what did he say he said rejoice greatly rejoice greatly daughters of zion Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And whether or not the original Palm Sunday parade goers put two and two together, did they have, have Zechariah's words in the back of their mind as they gathered there that day? I doubt it. But they certainly obliged his advice. As I don't know if you caught that little detail from Mark chapter 11, the Palm Sunday account. There, there's so much, many details of, of, of Palm Sunday from the various gospel lessons. But, but listen again to these words from Mark 11, verse 9. It says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. They shouted, Hosanna. They did not whisper it. They shouted, Hosanna. And rightfully so. But then something surprising happened. And this wasn't in Mark's account, but as you put the gospel lessons together for Palm Sunday... Something somewhat surprising happened as the leaders, the religious leaders, the religious elite of that day, 
said. Actually, they didn't say it. They asked Jesus to say it. As they said, Luke reports to us, he said, uh, the Pharisees, that's the religious elite of the day, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, tell your disciples to. Now, at other times in Jesus' life, in other times in Jesus' ministry, Jesus did in fact go, and in surprising ways. In fact, I know at least two of you have, I remember you asking this in Bible study, why did Jesus tell the people to be quiet? He did some awesome things. You know, when, when he raises a little girl from the dead, the daughter of Jairus, you know, you would think that'd be a happy moment. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? Don't tell anybody. Or he shows three of his disciples a glimpse of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But as they're coming down that mountain, he says, shh. Don't tell anybody. Or Peter, one of those disciples who saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, one time he was having a conversation with Jesus. He says, hey, who do, you, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter gives this awesome confession. He says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Peter. But now, shh. You're like, that's crazy. Jesus, that's good stuff that you're doing. These are awesome confessions. Why don't you want people to, to hear about this? Why don't you want them to shout that stuff from the rooftops? But Jesus said, eventually I want you to share that. That's why we're sharing it today. But at that time, it wasn't his time. He didn't want to create too much opposition too soon. And so he told his disciples, but not today. Not on Palm Sunday. Because now it was his time. He was marching into Jerusalem not just to be the recipient of a parade. He was marching into Jerusalem to die. And so he wanted opposition. He wanted attention in this case. So instead of going shh to his disciples, quite the opposite. Uh, listen to what he says. This is how he responds to those Pharisees. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones, the stones will cry out. That's a neat verse. Maybe you've already put two and two together. That is the verse, the theme verse, or has served as the theme for what we've been studying here the last six weeks. As we looked at, the stones cry out that the Lord will provide when we talked way back about Abraham and Isaac six weeks ago. Or the, Lord, or the stones cry out the Lord guides us with his law as we talked about the Ten Commandments. The stones cry out the Lord is in this place as we saw Jacob's ladder. The Lord forgives, the Lord saves. And now today... The Lord is worthy of praise. The stones will cry out. But before we pick apart Jesus' response to these Pharisees, let's just consider maybe why. Why was it that the Pharisees wanted Jesus shh the crowd? You know, best construction. Best construction would be to say, well, they, they were really watching out for the people. Because you see, the Romans were in control. And during this time, the Romans had actually called in extra security. It was a Jewish festival, and the Romans never wanted too much of an uprising. Uh, you know, when there's, a, when there's a festival, even in good times, people riot. That's why if there's two teams playing a championship, both cities have their security ramped up in case their team wins, and there's a riot in the streets. I don't know why people burn cars when they're happy, but they do. 
And, and so security is, is ramped up in Jerusalem at this time. They even haul in the governor, Pontius Pilate, just to keep a lid on the Jews. We don't want any funny business, right? And so best construction, best construction is that the, they were looking out for the other Jews. Let's just keep it down, guys. We don't want the Romans to come in here because the Romans had a wonderful way of silencing the crowd first and asking questions later. That's best construction. And typically I'd say put the best construction in everything, but in this case we'd be wrong. Jesus knew better. Jesus knew they weren't trying to shh him because they were concerned about the Romans. They were trying to shh him because he had shh them way too much lately. You see, before Jesus arrived on the scene, the Pharisees were top dog. They were looked up to. They were respected. They had a voice, and everybody would listen to them. But now all of a sudden, this Jesus guy shows up, and their voice has been a, turned down the volume a little bit, muffled, even muted at times. You know, Jesus was, was sharing a message that was pretty much contrary to what they said. They were all about the rules and about the regulations. I mean, these guys were, were, were like I said, they were top dog. They, they, they tithed you know, perfectly. They never cheated on their kosher diets. They could recite the Ten Commandments in frontwards and backwards and, and upside down and walk on a straight line and hop on one foot and do it all without even thinking about it much. And, 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 but now all of a sudden this Jesus guy comes along where, where they were so much about the, the, the restrictions and the laws and following things to a T. All of a sudden Jesus comes along and says, hey, no, it's not about what you do. It's not so much about your sacrifice. It's about your heart that I'm concerned about. Or the, the Pharisees, on one hand, you know, they were so proud of their, the, their bloodline, their pedigree, that they could point that they were from, from, from Abraham. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. And in, instead of emphasizing the bloodline of Abraham, Jesus emphasizes the faith of Abraham. And again, they're shh. Or most recently, what really kind of torqued these guys off was that Jesus had said, you know what you guys are like? You guys are like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but you are rotten and dying on the inside. That is not a ringing endorsement if you want people to listen to you. That was, and so that really shoot them. And so they wanted to shh Jesus back. But maybe instead of talking about the Pharisees, enemies of Jesus, on that first Palm Sunday, I think we can relate that enemies of Jesus are still trying to shh him today, aren't they? I know you know that because I, I've had conversations with you about that, that, that there's so many realms of society that are trying to quiet Jesus today or quiet Jesus' followers. Some of you have talked to me concerns about maybe even governments or our government. <laughs> You know, are there, are there things that are trying to shh the message of Jesus? I, honestly, there's a bill right now in Congress that could, could, if it passes and gets enforced, could stifle, perhaps, our, or make it a little bit tougher to freely and fully proclaim all the truths of God's word. But it's not just Congress. It's not just our government. And at any time, I mean, th this has been a consistent thing throughout governments. It could be maybe the entertainment world. 
You see entertainers who have an agenda item that, that they push and are followed because of their fame, and it has a way of shaking Jesus and his word. You see it in the athletic world. I, interesting enough, I just read this two days ago. So there was a team in the NCAA tournament that's going on right now, Oral Roberts. They were a big underdog. And uh, they won their first two games. They weren't supposed to win, but now there were some protests this week. They lost anyway last night. But there were some protests that said they should be banned from the tournament. Why? Because of some of their Christian morals that weren't fitting with the society. People trying to shh Jesus. And our reaction, what I see, I see a lot of this going on. And I join you in shaking my head like that. But we dare not. We dare not just look out there and see all the people that are shhing Jesus without looking inside here, too. What was it that got the Pharisees to shh Jesus? It wasn't what was going on out there in society. It really what was, what was going on inside of their own hearts. Primarily their pride. You know, and that's something for us to consider. You know, our, do we get so proud about what we accomplish or what our kids accomplish or what our company accomplishes or what our... Our church accomplishes. You know, you go through that litany of praises at the beginning. And as we, as we get caught in our own pride, are we robbing Jesus of the praise that is due him? Are we, are we stealing that away? Are we in Jesus just with our own sinful, prideful attitudes that have set up shop in our own hearts? Or maybe it's our fears. Or maybe it's our doubts. Maybe it's our love for our jobs. Maybe it's the love for our families. I mean, wonderful blessings, but sometimes the gifts that God gives to us can steal away praise from the giver himself. And when someone confronts us with that, of what's not going on outside there, but what's going on inside here, what's our natural response? Our natural response is to shh. Jesus. I don't want to be confronted by my sin. I don't want to hear any of that. And so Jesus, you just take your word and be quiet. And maybe that's the question for us today, to really be honest with us, ourselves. How have we shed Jesus in our own lives? And as we think about that, and as we contemplate that, now let's go back to Jesus' response. Where he says these words, he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Yes, that maybe sounds like a rebuke. And it was. It was a rebuke to the Pharisees, and it's a rebuke to us. But that Response that Jesus has doesn't just act as a rebuke. It also is a wonderful promise to us. A wonderful promise. In fact, this is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. When I come, I had so many events in my life that happened on Palm Sundays. I love Palm Sunday. 
But, but what does this do? I mean, you know, you, you take about what are the implications that, that come from that verse that I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Do you know what Jesus is promising with that little statement? He is promising to us that praise for him will never stop, no matter what. I mean, how comforting that is. I mean, go back five minutes in the sermon when we're all shaking our heads. Oh, I can't believe that's going on in society or entertainment or, or in athletics. And we're thinking, oh, Christianity is shrinking. Christianity is dwindling. I mean, yeah, but what does this promise? This promise that while Christianity may shrink, it will never get extinct. What a wonderful comfort that is for us. Oh, it doesn't mean that it will always be, you know, blossoming everywhere. It doesn't mean that you can't fall away from Jesus. I don't want to, you know, give that once saved, always saved promise here. But what it does promise, that it does promise that Christianity will continue to exist, that people will continue to praise Jesus until he comes back. The, the, the ramifications from a mission of that are, are tremendous. I mean, they just go on and on. Because what does that mean? That means that God's word, as much as it gets attacked, will never go away. It will be here until Jesus comes back. It means that in the end, Jesus will stand victorious, that his enemies won't win. It means that Jesus will always be praised. How comforting is that? And, and, and that's... That's only part of it. Not only do these words depict the power of the gospel and that it's always going to work in people's hearts, these words also depict the power of Jesus. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Can you make a stone cry? I can't. But Jesus could. Jesus could 2,000 years ago, and Jesus can today. What a beautiful truth for us to lean on, especially as we head into Holy Week. Over the next four or five days, you are going to see Jesus beaten and battered and bruised. You are going to see a picture of Jesus that is almost uncomfortable, as you see him so weak that he's not even able to carry his own cross. And then you are going to see him pinned on that piece of wood, and you are going to see him breathe his last. And, and when we see those pictures of Holy Week, sometimes it's those images that get burned into our brain. And as you see those images again this week, I would pray that you remember this verse. That that Savior who's pinned on a cross is the same Savior who can make stones cry out. That's how powerful he is. And I pray you don't just remember that this week. I remember... I pray that you remember that every week, that you need to be reminded of God's presence and power in your life. Whether it's this week or next week or two weeks or two years from now. In fact, I remember making this point in a 2006 Palm Sunday sermon. Long story about why I remember what I preached on 15 years ago, but I won't, I won't share those details with you. But I talked about the stones crying out and how it shows God's power. Two years later, two years later, it happened to be my farewell sermon at that, at that church. And a woman walks out to say goodbye to me after that service that day, a day on which I did not make this point. But as she walked out to say goodbye, 
You could see tears welling up in her eyes, and she said, thanks for showing me a Jesus that makes the stones cry out. Two years later. And what was so meaningful for her that day was because her husband had just lost his job with their two little kids at home. That's when she needed to, remind, to be reminded that her Savior, her Palm Sunday King, was in control. And same thing for you guys. You may not need to be reminded of those words today, but two weeks, two months, or two years, or 20 years from now, you might. When your heart is filled with fear, remember that you have a Savior who can make the stones cry out. When your heart is filled with doubt or worry or questions of any kind or sadness, Remember that you have a Savior who can make the stones cry. And there's one more point to glean from this little response of Jesus. Do you hear it? Neither do I. And that's the beautiful comfort of that little word, if. If the people keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones aren't crying out. So what is the logical explanation? The people aren't keeping quiet. Because these stones that have been on this altar for six weeks aren't crying out today. You know what that means? That means that Jesus just didn't march his way into Jerusalem 1,982 days ago. But it means he marched his way into Reno as well. It means that Jesus just didn't march his way into the hearts of the people lined up with palm branches and cloaks on the ground for Jesus. It means that Jesus walked his way into your hearts, righteous and having salvation, victorious, and he made his kingdom reign right here. The fact that these stones aren't crying out today is evidence that your stony hearts have been broken down and are praising Jesus. That your stony hearts are now crying out, the Lord is worthy of praise. That your stony hearts are crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save me, because that's exactly what he did, and you know that. That he marched into that Jerusalem crowd that day, not for the accolades, but to give his life, to save you, to rescue you from your sins, to, to seal a victory for you as he walked away from that empty tomb. Because your stony hearts now know that, your once stony hearts now know that, it is never it is never uncomfortable for us today to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, amen.